Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast. We are a small church located in West Lafayette, Indiana. This podcast is our recorded Sunday morning teachings. Join us as we learn to love, grow, and share what God has given us. Good morning, everyone. Come on in. Come on in. It is a good day to be together. I sang too hard, and now my voice is crackly. Pardon me. Jack, would you get me a water, please? Oh, thank you. You're a wonderful man. Um, My name is Andrew. I am on staff with Grace Church. Um, When the pastors put together this second Peter teaching series, which, by the way, sometime today I will make this mistake, I am going to call 2 Peter 1 Peter. It's inevitable. I've done it every time I have talked about 2 Peter. So when it happens, you've been forewarned. Anyway, we've been going through 2 Peter as a teaching series, and I have had the privilege of teaching in 2 Peter 3. A little bit about myself. I have been following the Lord, thank you, sir, since I was 13. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. I think I probably accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior when I was six, but I didn't really engage with the Lord on a personal level or submit my life to doing the things that he has called me to do, the things he made me to do until I was 13. And since then, my life has been like anybody's life in a lot of ways. It's been a roller coaster of life happening, of God being good, of God being faithful, of the world being a lot harder than I thought it was in my overly optimistic young self. Um, I am an optimist by nature. Um, My wife describes me as a golden retriever. I'm just, I like people. I think people are amazing. I think God has made people amazing. And a lot of my life story has been realizing that although people are amazing and God has made an amazing world, we are all broken. And what we do with that brokenness determines a lot of our story. So for me, I've had a lot of breaking in my life that has, Lord has been incredibly gracious, has brought me back to him and strengthened my relationship with him more than otherwise if my life was just jumping around like a golden retriever and licking people. So thankfully, God is good, and I believe he's going to be good to us today as well as we continue in Second Peter. Before we do... I have a couple things to say about this book. One, before we did first and second Peter series, I didn't understand Peter at all. Because Peter talks kind of weird. He's saying things that I'm like, I don't know what that means. I know what the word water means, but why is he saying water here? This makes no sense. This happens in both of the books all over. And I just wanted to acknowledge that because after doing a fair bit of study, I do understand First and Second Peter now. They're actually very straightforward books conceptually. Peter's points are pretty easy to understand when you get through some of the language. But Peter was a Jew of, he was a fisherman. He was not an educated man, but he walked with Jesus. And when you read the Peters, First and Second, and you do some studying, you see that Peter is referencing the Hebrew scriptures constantly all the time. It's like every other sentence. There are references to the Old Testament, as we call it. That's the Hebrew Scriptures. And I just would say that for us, living in the modern America, we don't naturally follow that, like Jews of that time probably would have. 
And when you look up the references, it adds weight, it adds depth, it adds credentials to Peter's arguments. So I'll just say that for now, I'll point out a couple of them in our verses, but 2 Peter is challenging for us, and that's okay. We've had some dedicated, loving Christians who have done a lot of work to help understand those things, and we're not going to have time today to do those things justice. But I will point out a couple of them that are rather obvious as examples for us to kind of see what Peter is doing. So that's one thing I wanted to say. The second thing is, I don't do well as a teacher just pulling seven books out of a book and teaching them. In fact, I don't do good conceptually doing that in any context. If we're going to talk about, I don't know, Hansel and Gretel, and I was going to teach the portion of them following the cookie crumbs, I wouldn't understand why that's important unless I knew the whole story. So for me, context is really, really important just to know where are we in the story. So before we go into the passage, we're going to do a brief review of where we've been in 2 Peter. Very brief, actually. I worked hard on this because, as Jack knows, I can talk about context because I find it fascinating. And as I understand the context more, my understanding of the particular passage we're reading comes alive more and more. And God works in my heart and transforms me. So let's review 2 Peter, then we're going to pray, and uh, we're going to get into it. <clears throat> 2 Peter has really comprised of three parts. The first part, which Tom and Fred did a bunch of, was reminding the people that he is writing of the truth. And Peter spent some time saying, this is true. If you remember, um, in the middle part of the chapter, he says, I was there on the mountain when Christ appeared in his glory, and Moses and Elijah were there with him. I was there for that. I was there when Jesus did all these miracles. Like, I saw him raised from the dead. This is true. The teachings that Peter is teaching, he completely believes are true, and they are true. So he spends most of the first chapter reminding them of the truth, and he even says, I will continue to remind you even though you know. So one of the points I took away from Tom's message was it is good for us to be reminded of the truth because this world is a quagmire of stuff, and having a light that is true to hold to is really important. Second part, I really appreciated both Chris and Fred's teachings in the second part of Peter, warning against false prophets. So reminding people of the truth, warning against false prophets. Guys, this world has an evil agenda that is coming for us. Specifically, Peter is warning them that, here's the truth, you're going to have people with malicious intent attempting to infiltrate your churches and lead you astray for their own personal gain, for the most part. Or, because they really believe something that is not true, and they're trying to convince everyone of that thing as well. Those are false prophets. And Peter warns the churches that he's writing to that this is going to happen, and it's going to be vicious, and they need to be prepared. And we talked about how do you recognize false prophets. Chris did that exercise. And really, when it comes down to it, um, Christine at House Church shared about this. Do you mind if I share your x-ray analogy? Ultrasound? Yeah. She, she works in ultrasound now. You've done x-rays, though, haven't you? Yeah, very good. Christine says that she gave an analogy of this. How do you know when something is wrong? Well, she knows what it's supposed to look like. She knows 
what the bone is supposed to look like in the situation. So she may not know all the things that can be wrong, but she knows when something isn't right. She knows what looks right. It's the same with Peter. If we know the truth, we can understand, to some level, that doesn't seem quite right, false teacher, or whoever's talking to me, because that doesn't line up with the truth. And then today, chapter 3, the third part of Peter, really, it's kind of a multi-fold thing, but his main point is he is exhorting us to be patient for the Lord's return. Remember the truth, be prepared for the evil of the world, and be ready for the return of the Lord with patient endurance. And that's where we're starting today. We are starting chapter 3. We're starting this transition from false prophecy into being patient for the return of the Lord. So let's pray. We need God to open our hearts to hear from his word. We'll read the passage together. I'll give you a couple of points and two practicals, and then we'll be done. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this book. We thank you that you are returning, that you are going to make everything right, everything new. Lord, we thank you that you were here on earth. You did die. You did raise from the, the death, Lord. You conquered sin, and you have made a way for us to be right with God. Lord, we acknowledge that this world is full of confusion, deception, and there is an enemy out there who is seeking, Lord, to destroy humanity, destroy us. Lord, we ask that you would help us to hear you today, that we would connect well with you, Lord, during this time. Amen. So let's read the passage. 1 Peter chapter 3. See, I said it. 1 Peter. It happened. I told you it would. 2 Peter chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you can open it up or you can read along with the slides. I read from the uh, CSB, the Christian Standard Version. Other versions are wonderful. Read along on your own if you prefer. Dear friends, now this is now the second letter I have written to you. In both letters, I wanted to stir up your sincere understanding by way of reminder so that you recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. Above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where is his coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continued as they have been since the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlooked this. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago, and the earth was brought about from water and through water. Through these, the world of that time perished when it was flooded. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are being stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. The word of the Lord. All right, so let's go on back to that first portion, and we're just going to read through this again a little bit. We just did the review of Second Peter, and look at that. There it is. Sincere understanding by way of reminder. This is the second, and the re, he gives us the reason why he wrote first books right there. He wants to remind them of the truth. Last week, Chris talked about some of the political and social issues that was happening at this time. That was last week. Yeah, it was last week. And when Peter wrote this, it is likely that he was either 
on the run, in hiding, or foresaw that the world was turning against Christianity. Nero had either burnt Rome or was about to burn Rome soon in this time, and people were coming for the Christians because he blamed them, and he ordered that they be executed, and a lot of them were. So Peter knows these are his last days. He wants to remind them. We've talked about that a little bit, and he points out the prophets, which again, for us, what are the prophets? I didn't grow up with a bunch of, well, actually I did. I didn't grow up with a bunch of American prophets prophesying about our nation. We're not used to that context. They grew up with a whole backdrop of cultural belief in the speakings of their ancestors prophesying in the Holy Spirit of the Lord about what was to come. So the prophets spoke the truth that he's speaking, and Jesus spoke it himself. Let's go to the next one. This is where we're really going to spend some of our time. Be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And here, I think Peter is pointing out a very specific lie that was happening in that day. What is that? Jesus isn't coming back. Where is his coming? All things are going to continue just like they have been since the beginning of creation. And wouldn't you know, that's actually a theory today, scientifically, that a lot of people hold on to. It's that by observing the present, we can understand the past, and we can predict the future. And the idea is, things have always been this way, more or less, which is a pretty big oversight in my opinion. We don't know that, and we can't predict that. But that's what these guys are saying, more or less. They don't believe Jesus is coming back. But not only that, what is a scoffer? We don't really use that word much. What is a scoffer? How would you scoff at this? And you know what came to mind when I thought about this? I thought, man, you know what? I think our culture is full of scoffers. What came to mind for me was the show Family Guy. That show is like a scoffing show. They scoff at truth and make it funny. They make light of truth, and it's kind of funny. There's some pretty witty humor in that show, but you know one thing they do? They scoff at the realities of Jesus and of our world. They mock it. They scoff it. They make light of it. And even if you think, well, it's a comedy show, Andrew, that's okay. I don't know if it is, actually. And our whole culture, that's just a small example, our whole culture is moving this direction fast. People make light of sin. They make light of Jesus. They make light of our need and the pretty terrible situation we are in as humans, which we'll get to in a second. They make light of that and they scoff. In Proverbs, it talks about rebuking a scoffer. And it basically says, you can't do it. They'll just scoff at your rebuke. These people have hardened their hearts and they are making light of the very things that will save us or destroy us. And our culture is full of them, just as Peter predicted. And we need to wrestle with that. I'm not sure what we can do about it culturally, but I know this. I have a scoffing attitude in my heart. Not always, but it's there. I kind of like humor that makes light of things. I was convicted when I was thinking about this of several things that I kind of thought was funny that I real I, I'm not going to go into it now, but I just kind of realized, you know, I am making light of the destruction of the wicked in my heart, and I don't want to do that. I want to be saddened and somber about that reality. 
Because if you go to the next verse, oh, yes, to play or trifle with, playing with truth, trifling with truth, mocking truth. Thank you, Janelle. My wife's doing slides. She's amazing. Uh, they deliberately overlook this, deliberately. This is on purpose. There are, um, this is one of those things about Peter I told you about. By the word of God, the heavens came into being. That's his point. This whole water and through water, if you read Genesis, Genesis 1, it pretty clearly uh, describes the world as being created out of water. That was how they thought about it. This is a reference to how God created the world. There's a reference to how he destroyed the world and yet saved it by saving Noah and humanity with the flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. This is really interesting because when you read Revelation and other portions, this whole fire coming to judge the earth thing, it almost always appears in the language of, you guys know how metal is refined? If you dig up some ore and you want to refine it, you put it in molten, superheat it, it melts, and all the impurities come out. And what's left is pure ore. So gold, for instance, you've got to heat it up so all the impurities come out, and what's left is pure gold. This whole stored up for fire thing seems to have that sort of a meaning behind it. And if you read Revelation, and if you read Jesus' words, there's a lot of that. But on the other hand, it actually just says the word is just fire. So what does it mean that we are stored up for fire in this, by the same word as the earth perishing by a flood? I think it's pretty clear at the end there, the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. I don't know if the earth is actually going to be consumed by fire, guys, but I know this. Jesus is coming back, and he's going to make all things right. And it's going to be like purifying the earth through fire, refining the impurity out of it so that all that is left is clean goodness. How do you feel about that? I'm not sure how I felt about that initially. I was kind of both ways. I think our world really doesn't like this because our world has been very burned by authority and the idea of an authority coming and especially in the context of this, I mean, just, just imagine, pause for a second, imagine if I came out of the heavens and I say, I am here to judge the earth and I judge everybody. That wouldn't go over very well. And it shouldn't because I'm a human. I don't know what's right and wrong in every situation. I don't have the wisdom. Replace me with any human you can think of. Some would do a lot better job than I would, but all of us, I think, would be very uncomfortable with this for two reasons. There's a perceived distance. I just appear and I judge the earth. That's, well, who gives you the right to do that, Andrew? And two, we understand authority makes mistakes all the time. This is going to go really badly for us. For me, what this really revolves around is the question of who is doing the judging. Who is Jesus? Jesus is returning to judge the earth. In Matthew, we can go to the next slide, Janelle. In Matthew um, 13 and 24, 25, Jesus gives a lot of parables about the return and the judgment of sinners. 
And a lot of his language is very similar to what he was just talking about in 2 Peter. Peter was there when Jesus gave these parables. Peter heard Jesus talk about this all the time. How would Peter have perceived Jesus returning to judge the earth by fire? What would his perspective on that have been, and why? After a lot of prayer and thought, I think, and you can disagree with me on this if you want, but I would encourage you to pray about it, I think Peter was rejoicing. Why? Because this is Jesus who's coming to do this. What does that mean? The judge who is coming to purify the earth is the very judge who died so the earth could be saved. He's the very man whose compassion was so strong that he came as God, lived among us, took our judgment upon himself, died under it, and rose up, showing that he has the authority to forgive it, and now he offers forgiveness to the entire world. That's the man who's coming back to judge the earth with fire. Okay. For me, that does it. Because if that man is coming to do this job, he's qualified. And if some people are going to be crushed, if the wicked are going to be destroyed, first off, for us, <laughs> we're kind of weird. In almost any other generation, I think, I, I wasn't there, I couldn't tell you for sure, but my understanding is if you told them your enemies are going to be destroyed, the wicked are going to be destroyed, the reaction would be, yes, this is great. We're going to be liberated from the oppression of the wicked and the ungodly. We're a little different these days, and that's not bad. I actually think there's some pretty big pros. I think that in some ways we have more compassion for humanity as at large, and I think some of that comes from the teachings of Jesus. He tells you, love your enemies, do good to those who hurt you, bless those who persecute you. We shouldn't wish for the destruction of anybody. Spoiler alert, that's what the next verses say, but I can't talk about those because they're not in my section. Tom's going to talk about those. This is leading up to this point, guys. This is Jesus who is doing the judging. This is excellent news. Try to be, step, come with me for a second, step back and be a bit impersonal. We know scientifically the earth is slowly winding down, right? Eventually it's going to stop. Eventually the sun's going to wink out or blow up, depending on your perspective. Eventually this is all going to end, right? We're all going to die. Death is a big problem. It's been the problem of humanity from the beginning. Well, not quite the beginning, but since the fall. All of that is going to be taken care of. Jesus is going to conquer death. We will live forever in the new kingdom with perfect bodies. Everything Jesus is bringing is very, very good. Very, very good. So this cleansing fire is something that I personally am beginning to rejoice in. Yes, Lord, come Jesus and make this world right. I can't help it. I'm going to spoil the next couple of verses. The next one basically is Jesus says he doesn't wish anyone to perish, and that's why he hasn't come yet. Jesus, back to our third point of Peter, patiently waiting for the return of the Lord, Jesus is patiently waiting for you, for us. He is waiting for us to respond to him because he loves us. He doesn't want us to perish. He did everything required to save us. So if you don't know Jesus, I'll just ask you, what's stopping you? 
from accepting this gift, from accepting him. It could be a really good reason, actually. Likely, it's a misunderstanding of who Jesus is, and you don't trust him. That's understandable. I wouldn't trust somebody I didn't know either. But I would encourage you, get to know Jesus. He is qualified to do this, and he is the Savior of the world. For those of us who do know Jesus, we're in a time where there are mockers, there are false prophets, there is rejection of Jesus, by and large, happening more and more publicly, especially, well, not especially in America, it's happening all over the place. This is expected. What should we do? Well, I'm going to use Second Peter's three parts as a neat little practical. Three things that you can do every day of your life. And you get to choose how you do it a little bit. I'd recommend you to pray with Jesus about how to do this. One, start your day for being reminded of the truth. Some of us, that's a morning reading of the word. Some of us, that's prayer. Whatever you do, be reminded of the truth at the beginning of your day. Then, be reminded and warned against the evil of the world. When you go out to work, wherever it is, you are going to confront falsehood. Who knows? We live in a pretty sheltered country in a lot of ways, but there's still some pretty nasty stuff that we experience. That's going to happen. We need to be prepared for that. Be reminded of the truth. Be prepared to walk in an evil world. And the third, be patient as we are enduring the evil around us, as we are attempting to be like Jesus, as we are attempting to bring good to our communities. Be patient because he is patient with us. I'll just close by saying this whole thing doesn't work if Jesus isn't the Savior of the world and if he isn't supremely good. I'm convinced that he is, and many of you are as well, but I have parts of me that still wrestle with this and aren't fully convinced that Jesus is who he says he is. And I can tell because when I read Second Peter at portions, I feel uncomfortable about some of these truths and if I stop and ask myself, well, why do I feel uncomfortable? It's because I think, well, that doesn't seem just or right. And what does that mean? It means that I don't fully trust Jesus' justice. I don't understand Jesus' justice perfectly yet to have a proper reaction. That's a fun little exercise, by the way, which we don't have time to get into today. But when you're exposed to reminding the truth in your day, you will find things about the truth that bother you. Don't ignore that. Don't ignore that. Instead, ask the question, well, why does this bother me? Usually, not always, but often, the reason why the truth bothers me is because I don't understand the truth giver properly. And I am believing, there's a, there's a um, counseling method called the, Eman the Emmanuel approach. If I'm uncomfortable about the truth, Often what it is, is I have a false understanding of Jesus that I am believing. I think Jesus is, for me personally, when I did this, I thought he was absent. I thought he was kind of cruel. He just let bad things happen to me and he could have stopped it, but he didn't. That seems kind of cruel. Well, is Jesus not present and cruel? Not according to scripture, he's not. 
He's ever-present, he's with us, and he is very loving. The man sheds tears over his dead friends that he's about to resurrect because of the pain of his friends. The man is incredibly caring. So I knew, oh, I'm off here. I'm not believing the truth about Jesus. And I had to go through a process of working through the pain in my heart to understand the truth properly. We all have a similar opportunity. And if we do this, you're going to start bumping into this as you are reading and being reminded of truth. Don't ignore when issues come up. Write them down. Pay attention. Talk to some people in the church about it. Get some support. We can do this together as we move forward, but ultimately it depends on Jesus. And thankfully, he is with us. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you are with us, and the only reason this works is because of you. Lord, you are good, trustworthy, you are holy, you are righteous, and Lord, you love us. Lord, it is your desire that all mankind would know you, Lord, that each person here, each person out of this room, Lord, would find the salvation that you made possible because you love us, Lord. Lord, we just commit the saving work that you do to you, Lord. Lord, if you have things that you want us to do to help with that, Lord, I ask that you would just strengthen us as weak, broken people, Lord, but people who have your spirit. Lord, we just acknowledge that you are the Savior of the world, and you are the Savior of us. Lord, fill us with belief and remind us daily of the truth. Help us to just step by step take the next step into believing you. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, please be sure to subscribe. To learn more about Grace Church, visit our website, wlgrace.org. See you next week.